Welcome to the Resources for Integrated Care webinar, Self-Direction for Duly Eligible Individuals Utilizing LTSS. This podcast was excerpted from a webinar presented live on August 21st, 2019. In this podcast, Cortland Towns, the Deputy Director of the Boston Center for Independent Living, gives an overview of the role of a long-term services and supports coordinator and discusses Massachusetts on-care program the Medicare and Medicaid Financial Alignment Demonstration for Adults Living with Disabilities who are both fully eligible for Medicare and Medicaid. This is Cortland, and I'm the Deputy Director at the Boston Center for Independent Living. Um, And independent living centers are somewhat unique as we do not provide any case management uh, services at all. Independent living centers are uh, organizations that are run by and for people with disabilities, and it's a cross-disability organization. So... um, Legally, the definition of for you know to be an IOC, you have to have over 51% of staff be persons with disabilities. Uh, we're probably at about 75%, and same with the board. It's board directed, so uh, 51% of the board has to be people with disabilities, uh, and we exceed that number uh, as well. So what I'm going to be talking about a little bit is One Care, uh, the model that we have in Massachusetts, uh, which is our independent living, long-term services and supports model. And it's a Medicare, Medicaid uh, demonstration for folks that are duly eligible. Um, and so that's for folks who have both Medicare and Medicaid. And for folks used, used to dealing with that population, you know that Medicaid typically is the payee of last resort. And sometimes folks that have both Medicare and Medicaid have problems accessing services because they get into the, well, you have to ask Medicare to pay for it first and then or I get Medicaid to deny it before somebody else will pay for it. So this kind of helps to alleviate that. Um, and the way it's set up is that once somebody becomes enrolled in One Care, they have what's called a, a interdisciplinary care team, and that can be a mix of different medical professionals, discharge planner, behavioral health. It really matters um, what the consumer's needs are, so the makeup of those care teams uh, can differ for each consumer. Um, and then once enrolled, members have the right to have an ILLTSS coordinator, independent living and long-term services and support coordinator as part of their team. Again, in keeping with consumer direction, consumer control, they, have, they can choose it. They don't have to have it automatically. So they join the plan. The plan explains to them what uh, the LTSS coordinator does, and they're given an explanation of it, and then they can choose to have one if they want to, but only then does it get referred uh, to my agency. Uh, Next slide, please. Um, The beauty of having an LTSS coordinator um, is multiple because we're not employed by the health plans. So the health plans, in our case, we work with an organization called uh, Community Case Management um, and Community Management we are not employed by them. They actually contract with independent living centers um, like ours, uh, Recovering Learning Centers, and ASAPs, Aging Servicing Access Point, to provide the services, um, work with the consumer, help them figure out what they need, and as well as do the service coordination once those services uh, get approved. The beauty of it is that we're not working for the health plan, we're, so we can be an advocate for the consumer on the interdisciplinary care team. And sometimes there's disagreement where we say this is what the consumer wants and the care plan may want to go in a different direction. Sometimes the 
that they see as more cost effective. But again, we're advocating for the consumer as part of that care team uh, under the, the premises of independent uh, living and consumer control, consumer direction. So uh, an important process, important part of that process is meeting with the consumer um, and building a rapport with them, really. So it's important that as independent living centers, we employ people with disabilities, and that while it may not be the same disability as the consumer that they're working with, um, there's that shared experience of having a disability, probably facing some of the same barriers and discriminations, uh, and et cetera. And so they go out and they meet the consumers in their homes, um, and they use a tool um, that they work with the consumer to help identify what their needs are, what they want for their own goals to live independently. And it may not even be goals that we agree with. That's not our role. Our role is to help the consumer identify what services and supports that they need to live independently in the community, advocate for those as part of the interdisciplinary care team, um, and then go from there. Uh, next slide, please. Um, so I talked about some of the bullets that are on here um, because we're able to provide the expertise in the long-term services and supports because it's the same services that we're providing to consumers that come through our door. Um, and the same with the folks that are from the recovery learning model, which is very similar to the independent living model, um, whereas, as, whereas independent living centers are cross-disability organizations. With the recovery learning models in those centers, they have folks that also have a diagnosis of mental health or mental illness um, working with that population. And so they're also providing skills training and peer mentoring much in the same way um, that the independent living centers do. And this slide really kind of talks about some of the benefits because the same people that have disabilities and may have used some of the services that they're helping other consumers to access in the role of the long-term services and supports as well. Um, and again, as I mentioned before, the, the initial assessment is, con is assessed in the consumer's home. Um, and once somebody gets on the program, they're often seen about quarterly during the first year to make sure that the services and supports that are working for them and that they're still the same. They can change over time. We've seen people who initially may be eligible for PCA services, but they may not be ready. They don't feel like they have the skill set to do the managing and the hiring and firing um, and scheduling of PCAs. So they may initially start out with services like um, Meals on Wheels, uh, laundry services, um, things like that. And they may have home health aides coming in doing some of their hands-on care needs, but then they may get to a point where they feel like they can manage PCA services and we'll make a referral uh, for that. Next slide. Um, so when the LTSS meets with a consumer um, in their home, they explain to them what their role is. The one care entity is supposed to do that, but sometimes there's so many people involved uh, with consumers from different agencies that we kind of have to go over that with them and explain that we're not case managers, we're not there to try to tell them what they need, but really to talk to them, figure out what their skill sets are, what it is that they want and need to live more independently in the, in the community. And the key is that independence is different for each consumer. Um, some people may not want uh, that many people in their homes and they may have friends and family members that are providing some services that other agencies could do, but they're not comfortable with that, and that's okay. Um, but our folks work with them to identify their short and long-term goals, figure out what their current barriers to independence are, and how that they can um, how they can overcome some of those. 
So once we figure out what those are, we have to go back to the interdisciplinary care team, advocate for those, get them approved by the plan, and then they, the LTSS coordinator switches into more of a service coordinator role um, to get those services in place. And again, consumers have the right to make changes to those uh, selected services. Next slide. Now, the packages of services might differ for each consumer, and as I said, they may change over time. So what are the, some, of the, some of the types of services? Uh, skills training and education, that's something that all consumers of independent living centers get. That's part of our um, core services. Peer support, uh, a lot of consumers um, need uh, assistance with accessing non-medical transportation, home modifications, uh, meals on wheels, uh, adult day health programs, they maybe want to have more social, socialization and interaction and recreation with other folks with disabilities, um, and homemaker and companion services. That's one of the beauties of in, in our state with the One Care because One Care is able to get certain things approved that our state-funded uh, straight PCA services will not cover. So companion services, um, anything with queuing or supervision. Our regular state mass health PCA program does not allow that, but that is something that one care entities have the uh, flexibility to do. Next slide. Um, and this really talks about the methodology um, because, again, it's a person with a disability that's working with another person with a disability, um, and we use a strength-based needs assessment. So that, that means we're operating under the premise that everybody has uh, you know, their own unique strengths, no matter what their situation is. Um, and those, helping identify what those strengths are can be used as a starting place to start to develop, you know, more strengths that will support the person's efforts to reach their goals and be, you know, as independent as possible for them. Um, and oftentimes, somebody from outside of that person's immediate environment can be the person that's best able to help them to point out their unique strengths, talents, abilities, um, and strengths. Uh, next slide. So this is a bit more on uh, utilizing a strength-based approach. Um, and these are some of the questions that we ask during that initial assessment. And sometimes it's the assessment may take more than one visit, but the tool that we use and the questions that we ask, you know, what is working well right now for you? What do you want to accomplish? Uh, what do you feel that you can build on? It's designed to build rapport and also remind the consumer of their own skill set and their strengths and really put them in charge and understanding that they are setting the path that which we will be following and assisting them with, but it's their path and it's and that they determine where it is that they want to go. So instead of assuming that an individual has a weakness in a particular area, uh, assume that the individual has not had opportunities yet that are essential to learning, developing, and mastering a skill set in a particular area that's going to lead them to greater uh, independence. The next couple of slides are a couple of case studies. Next slide, please. Um, the first one is Karen. Uh, a 51-year-old woman uh, with a history of falls, diagnosis of PTSD, anxiety, uh, bipolar disorder, and a couple of other diagnoses. Um, she was initially really reluctant um, to engage with our skills trainer. And in fact, the initial person who we had assigned to her ended up getting switched uh, to somebody that actually spoke her language. Uh, Spanish was her first language. Um, and so we switched and she was very reliant um, on her family members to provide her assistance with IADLs. Um, after some time, you know, building rapport with the skills trainer, 
um, she was able to identify what type of services that she felt would help her. And so um, she chose homemaking services, companion services, social and medical transportation. Um, she's been on the One Care program for a little over a year now at this point, and she reports that the services have lessened her feelings of anxiety and stress, um, have allowed her to feel safer and more self-sufficient in her environment, and it's also freed up her family members um, to do other things as opposed to them being her primary caretakers. Um, we've seen that oftentimes in the personal care attendant program where you have family members that are maybe not out making money um, or, you know, doing all the things that they want to do because they're caretaking for a family member. And then once somebody is able to access services, it lessens that reliance on the family members. And so we're seeing more than just a benefit to the actual consumer, but sometimes the friends and family members that have been doing some of the hands-on needs. Um, the next slide. Ricardo is a very, very recent one. In fact, um, when I was looking at case studies, I had met with his long-term services and support coordinator that day, and he was very, very excited because Ricardo had just gotten into um, a single-room occupancy program. But uh, I imagine, like for many folks, Boston, we have a, a pretty severe housing shortage, um, and it's particularly bad for folks with disabilities that are looking for low-income housing and accessible housing. Uh, Ricardo's 53. He has a diagnosis of depression, anxiety, and has some cognitive disabilities. Uh, and he had been homeless for about five years. Um, he had a service animal. At one point, he entered a shelter, but he had to give up his service animal uh, when he went into the shelter, and that wasn't working well for him. Um, so he left the shelter system and has been living in a U-Haul van uh, for the last couple of years. Um, oftentimes when we would meet with him, because he did not have a domicile, we would either meet with him at the office um, or at a coffee shop at a place that he chose. And also sometimes there can be some, some difficulties in even accessing the consumers because folks that are homeless oftentimes, they, don't, they may have a cell phone number that is not always on or they don't have minutes. Um, so sometimes that can be a barrier and it can take longer to get stuff done, but we just have to kind of keep going with it. Um, but his initial um, focus was on housing assistance, and he was somebody who would come to our uh, bi-monthly housing workshops. Um, over time, we were able to get him on a priority list because he was, in fact, homeless and a person with a disability, um, and he was able to get into, he was just getting his keys uh, the day that I, um, that I used, uh, selected him for the case study uh, to the single room occupancy program. And that's a program that will give him access to permanent housing if he makes it through the program without any problems. So if he's able to maintain his apartment, pay his bills on time, and really have no issues, then he will be eligible for permanent housing uh, once he completes that program. So he's working with uh, his LTSS uh, coordinator, Jose, right now to get additional supports like home-delivered meals um, and laundry service. But Ricardo is almost basically like he's like once he got his secure housing, he was like, I don't need anything else. And we had to convince him, well, no, there's, all, there's other services that can complement uh, you right now. But he was so focused on getting housing, and so we were so glad uh, to see him get accepted into the single-room occupancy program. Thank you for listening. This podcast is presented by the Lewin Group and is supported through the Medicare and Medicaid Coordination Office at the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. MNCO is dedicated to helping beneficiaries enroll in Medicare and Medicaid have access to seamless, high-quality health care that includes the full range of covered services in both programs. 
to support providers in their efforts to deliver more integrated, coordinated care, MMCO is developing technical assistance and actionable tools based on successful innovations and care models. To learn more about our current efforts and resources, please visit our website or follow us on Twitter for more details. Our Twitter handle is at integrate underscore care.